Dragon Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your kung fu may be good, but mine is better. A revered family betrayed and massacred on the battlefield, their name and honor destroyed, and a brother driven mad from grief. One man on the run seeks peace for his soul, while thoughts of vengeance lurk deep in the corners of his mind. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vita, and in today's episode, we're on the stick with the 8 Diagram Pole Fighter. Eight Diagram Pole Fighter, or Invincible Pole Fighter, was released in 1983 by the Shaw Brothers, with legendary director Lau Karlong at the helm. It starred Gordon Liu and Alexander Fu Sheng in what, tragically, would be his final role. Sadly, while filming this movie, Fu Sheng was killed in a car accident. He was intended to be the hero of the story, so the script had to be rewritten for Gordon Liu to take over the hero's journey. The movie opens up with the mother and the two sisters of the Yang family reading a cryptic prophecy regarding the fates of the Yang men as they are about to go into battle with an advancing Mongol army. Seven have gone. Just six returns. We're quickly introduced to Pun Mei, a general and Yang supporter who's hatching a plan to unseat the influential Yang family and erase their lineage in a quote-unquote subtle way. We must get rid of them in a much more subtle way. Father, what do you suggest? The Yang will all die. A Sha. I'm not sure what the ancient Chinese definition of subtle is, but I'm going to go ahead and bet that it's not that. Fight scene. We get right into it with a major battle scene with the seven Yang brothers and their father, all famed for the mastery of spear fighting, as they face off on the battlefield against a much larger Mongol army. Now before we get into the absolutely thrilling sequence, I need to point out that this scene suffers from a major flaw that makes the whole fight feel just a little bit claustrophobic. The scene is an obviously painted stage set with a backdrop. Had they filmed this scene on a sprawling field or on a mountainside, it would have had a grander, more epic feel to it. But as such, it feels a little bit limited, though it does not diminish the, from the brilliant display of skill. It's eight Yangs against what looks to be 30 or 40 Mongols, but the deft spear handling of the Yang seems to keep the field level. Each of the brothers is able to hold off three or more Mongols with their sweeping arcing spears. The Mongols can't ever get in close enough for any one brother to do any damage. The first wave of Mongols gets cut down with relative ease, and the brothers advance against the Mongol general's tent to seal their victory. But the treachery of Pun Mei reveals itself here as he steps up with the Mongol leaders and offers a dire warning. Say your prayer. They retreat into the tent, followed by the Yangs, but the tent is booby-trapped, and it explodes, sending shrapnel out across the brothers. Most of the brothers take some damage, and one is blinded. The rest of the Mongol army emerges from behind the tent and charges the wounded Yangs. Even severely wounded, the Yangs put up a decent fight until the Mongols unveil a weapon that they've designed to directly counter the Yang spears. The Mongol poles are outfitted with a spring-activated end that can collapse the pole and wrap it around the Yang spears, immobilizing them. Without their signature weapons, the Mongols are able to pull in close and cut the brothers down one by one. Fu Sheng's character's sixth brother and Gordon Liu's fifth brother are able to continue the fight, showing off amazing dexterity with their spears. The blinded brother joins in the fray, but mistakes the Mongol army for his brothers, who in turn take him down and brutally trample him to death. Second brother, played by Lao Kar Wing, features in an intense footwork and weaponry sequence, but he winds up being essentially crucified on the field on the Mongol poles. The Yang Patriarch tries to draw the Mongol fire away from his sons, but is met with an archery battalion who have all drawn on him. 
Pun Mei issues the order to fire, but before the arrows can hit the elder Yang, another of his sons leaps in front of him and dies on his feet. A second wave of arrows find their mark, but instead of dying at the hands of his enemies, the elder Yang leaps high atop a stone field marker and drives his head full on into the rock. He lands at the base with blood cascading down his face and chest and expires. The Mongol horde rushes off the field for a moment as Fifth Brother rushes to his father's side and laments the betrayal. Sixth Brother, however, is continuing to battle ghosts as he throws his spear around at no one, screaming that he has to kill all the Mongols and laughing maniacally. He's absolutely unhinged and runs off the battlefield as the Mongols return to finish them off. It's such an intense and well-choreographed scene, and if it weren't for the stage set, it could have been an incredible, epic battle scene. Back at home, the Yang women are awaiting any news and are starting to worry when Sixth Brother barges in, ranting and raving as if he stilled the battle. These scenes are where Fu Sheng really shines because he's so expressive and convincing when he vacillates between raving lunatic and grieving son. He's so consumed with grief that he attacks his own family thinking that they are the Mongols. His mother gets him to calm down for a moment, but he snaps right back into a manic nutcase as he recounts how Pun Mei set them up in a death trap. He laughs wildly as he explains in gory detail how each of his brothers was killed. He says that fourth brother was captured alive, and that fifth brother disappeared, but the grief is too much for their mother as she realizes the horrible truth of the prophecy. Seven left. Six returns. So the prophecy was correct. It is the will of heaven that one survives. Oh, no. Meanwhile, back at enemy HQ, Pun Mei is paid a visit by his co-conspirators. He reports that they can't account for all the Yangs and that somehow the sixth Yang is still alive. He promises to track him down before they can implicate them in the traitorous act. When we last saw Fifth Brother, he was being surrounded by Mongols as he grieved for his father. Somehow he escaped that predicament because we catch up with him as he's walking through a swamp towards a hut. He's bloody and beaten but alive. Inside the hut, as he's trying to remove the spring-loaded staff from his own spear, the hunter who lives there shows up and confronts him. The hunter, played by director Lao Kar Lung, is adept with the spear as well, and he and Fifth Brother exchange some blows in the cramped hut. It's a really brief exchange, but it shows how skillful a martial artist Lao Kar Lung was in his own right. Noticing the unique spear, the hunter accuses Fifth Brother of deserting the Yang army. Fifth Brother explains that they were betrayed and ambushed. The hunter, having once been an officer himself, guesses that Pun Mei was the traitor, and he's not at all surprised. Fifth Brother explains that he wants to bring Pun Mei to justice in court, but the hunter tells him that he doesn't stand a chance, while Pun Mei is in cahoots with the Mongols and another enemy leader, played by perennial villain Johnny Wang. As they argue, the Mongols who've been tracking Fifth Brother descend on the hut. He grabs his spear and wants to fight, but the hunter suggests that he escape through a hidden tunnel instead. When Fifth Brother resists, the hunter knocks him out, but before he can carry him into the tunnel, the Mongols break in. Fight scene. Fifth Brother comes to just as the Mongols are storming the gates, but before he can jump into the fight, the hunter throws him down the secret tunnel entrance while he handles the horde. The hunter has the advantage of position inside his hut, plus he's also really heavily armed. He chooses a massive trident and takes the fight to the horde, fending off much of their advancement while defending the only entrance into the hut to give Fifth Brother time to put some distance between them. Just as with the spears, the Mongols use their spring-loaded staffs to tie up the trident and handicap the hunter. He takes the fight back into the hut, where the hunter does what he can to block the entrance to the tunnel. When the tide of the battle turns against him, he makes one last-ditch effort to cause a cave-in that seals off the tunnel and buries him under tons of rock. Back at the Yang Palace, Sixth Brother can't cope with his grief even as Pun Mei and his troops arrive to harass them for info. 
Pun Mei orders a search of the grounds, but the Yang matriarch stands him down even as he reveals that her fifth son may still be alive as well. She covers for Sixth Brother and gets Pun Mei to leave, but she laments the whereabouts of her son. Meanwhile, Number Five has made his way through the tunnel and back to the hut where he finds the carnage that the Mongols wrought. The hut's destroyed, and he finds the body of the hunter under the cave in rubble which prompts his new mission. Thank you. You saved my life. Now I will be able to avenge my family. I'll listen to you. I won't rush. I'll wait the right time. Before I move, I will succeed. He sets about burning his belongings and hacking the spear tip off of his signature weapon. There's a nice cutscene to the same spear tip, but this time on Six Brothers' weapon, as he's still terrorizing his household by randomly attacking everyone that he believes to be Mongols. He only gives slight pause when his mother addresses him, but it doesn't last long. Fight scene. Six Brother and his mom go at it in a spear versus scepter battle with the venerable Lily Lee showing off her skills. It's a spirited exchange, and Mommy Yang is never flustered. She even tosses her poor boy through the air with a solid strike that launches him head over heels to some gathered servants who catch him like he's crowd surfing at a metal show. Whether it's exhaustion or a slow realization that he's not on the battlefield, Sixth Brother relents and breaks down sobbing. Fifth Brother, meanwhile, has made his way to a Shaolin temple where he seeks refuge and peace of mind. But from the moment he sets foot in the temple, his anger and inner turmoil are front and center. He begs to be a monk, and when he reveals himself to be a Yang, he's not believed until he offers his broken spear as proof. But even with that, the abbot thinks he's far too angry to ever be a monk. As the abbot leaves, Fifth Brother runs after him, and proving the abbot right, he lashes out and attacks the monks that get in his way. The head abbot rebukes him again, but Fifth Brother explains in pain detail how he was raised a soldier and only knows war, and conversely loyalty. He insists on having his head shaved as a sign of his commitment. The monks refuse to help him, but they don't stop him from doing what he feels he has to do. He witnesses a new initiate having his head shaved and undergoing jaba, which is the branding ritual that puts those dots on a monk's head. Each of the marks of the jaba is meant to represent one of the tenets of being a monk and is supposed to be a very painful process that was banned for several hundred years. Only recently has the practice been reinstated, but only for a select few Shaolin monks. The Ustari Cycle by Jeff Summers, author of the Avery Kate series, has been called intricate with ink-black humor by RT Book Reviews, and heartbreaking, and soaked in blood and steeped in deadly power and desperation by Publishers Weekly. When blood fuels magic, there are mages, there are bleeders, and there are no good people. Learn the words, get the blood, and rule the world. Available everywhere from gallery books. Check out wearenotgoodpeople.com. When the initiate leaves, Fifth Brother takes the blade and crudely hacks his hair off as the temple monks watch. When he's done, he knocks over some burning incense and presses his bloody scalp to the sticks, branding the marks into his skin. Gordon Liu does an amazing job here depicting his inner and outer pain as he's marking himself as a show of commitment. He can only take so much, though, and passes out from the pain. A few days later, Fifth Brother wakes up screaming for his sixth brother when he realizes that he's still in the temple. Some other initiates come to visit him and he prematurely celebrates the fact that he's become a monk. However, they tell him that the abbot has ordered that as soon as he's healthy, he has to leave the temple because he's far too angry to ever be a true monk. During a training session, the monks are practicing their pole techniques with wooden wolves as targets. Fifth Brother shows up and tries to insert himself into the training, but the abbot in charge tells him that only monks can train there. Fifth Brother asserts his soldier mentality and claims that he can be an asset to the temple. He proceeds to interrupt a group of novices with their training and absolutely destroys a target wolf, crushing it to pieces. Reverend, a wolf should be beaten first. 
Silver did is badly wounded. Then the other wolves will smell his blood and know what might happen to them. And so never come again. The abbot, angered by his impertinence, explains that killing is against the rules for a monk, then shows off the proper way that true monks train. We render them harmless by removing their teeth. Like this. So then, it doesn't matter what they do. They no longer pose a threat to us. Also, they're unlikely to visit us again. After all, a wolf with no teeth can hardly kill. There's a clash of philosophies here as Fifth Brother knows only to attack with the intent to kill. The abbot is offended, but another abbot shows some leniency and offers Fifth Brother a chance to prove himself. Now we get the signature training sequence in the film where Gordon Liu basically just gets to show off for a few minutes. We watch as he begins to put the pieces of his training together and gets familiar with the new fighting style he's learning. He starts to appreciate what his pole can do as he practices with it in different settings. We see a little bit of wire work mixed in here and we see the first signs of a repeating motif as Fifth Brother becomes more and more knowledgeable about the 8 diagram pole technique. Throughout the scenes, we see thinly veiled representations of the 8 trigram symbols that make up the Bagua, which stands for the 8 principles of reality as seen in Taoist cosmology. Now for those of you who just tuned out then, remember the three line symbols on the various stations in Lost? Those are the diagrams I'm referring to. While the abbot is impressed with his skill, he still insists that Fifth Brother cannot stay in the temple because he can't seem to let go of the hate and embrace the principles of a true monk. Fifth Brother openly defies him and insists that the only way he's leaving the temple is as a corpse. The next day, the abbot leaves the temple and makes a journey to the Yang household. Eighth Daughter receives the abbot, who requests a bowl of vegetables personally cooked by Lady Yang. Offended by his attitude, Eighth Daughter and the monk get into a quick exchange of blows. It's a graceful and delicate battle with the monk doing lots of evasion and ducking, while Eighth Daughter is on the offensive from the get-go. Lady Yang breaks up the fight and offers to hear the monk's request. It's here that the monk starts to unspool the reason for his visit. He mentions Pun Mei as part of his introduction, but at the mention of the name, Sixth Brother leaps out from behind his mother and fiercely attacks the monk. Again, the monk must do lots of evasion and sidestepping, but Sixth Brother is relentless until his mother can calm him down. Side note here, Fusheng is incredibly skilled and flexible, because in this scene he drops down into a full side split and just relaxes there while the dialogue between his mother and the monk continue unabated. The monk casually drops that Sixth Brother is a skilled fighter, no doubt a match for their fifth brother. The Yangs realize that he knows where their brother is, but the monk can't say exactly where that is to protect him. Lady Yang cleverly asks the monk a question that will help the family with their search. Reverend, where shall I send the food? Please tell me. Chinglang Temple, Wu Time Mountain. If you've been keeping score, you're probably asking yourself now what happened to that fourth brother. If you recall, at the battle he was taken alive, which Sixth Brother acknowledged in his lunatic rant. Now, I'm going to assume that he was executed by Pun Mei at some point, though there's never another mention of him again. I have to believe that the tragedy of Fu Sheng's accident really looms large here because that was the last scene that you see him in. From here on out, he's noticeably absent from the movie and Gordon Liu now drives the action. So I assume that the rewrite of the script must have had to pivot on the fourth brother subplot and just never got resolved. The monk leaves and is making his way back to the temple when he abruptly realizes just how far the Mongol influence reaches. As he's passing through town, he's ambushed by some Mongol spies. They put a few arrows in his leg and he makes a desperate plea to everyone he stumbles across to aid him against the Mongol threat. Unfortunately, it seems that everyone in town is a Mongol spy. Fight scene. The abbot has no choice but to fight for his life as the spies close in on him. He displays his incredible boxing style and leaping ability, but there are just too many spies for him to handle. The Mongol general whips out the spring pole again and pins the abbot down while trying to get intel from him. When he refuses to talk, 
The Mongols decide to take him back to their HQ, but instead of allowing himself to be captured, the abbot breaks off one of the arrows in his leg and stabs himself in his own throat. Punmei and his Mongol cohorts have to go to Plan B and decide to keep a very close eye on the Yang women to see if they don't lead them to the missing brothers. On orders from Lady Yang, Eighth Daughter is secreted out of the palace, disguised as a man, and given a signature piece of jade and instructions to go to the temple to try to convince Fifth Brother to return home. Meanwhile, at the temple, Fifth Brother is learning of the abbot's sacrifice. The abbot that extended leniency towards him earlier explains that the elder abbot went to visit the Yangs to try and help reunite the family and was killed for his efforts. Reverend, he died because of me, and I bow now to carry on the fight where the elder left off. <laughs> the abbot tests his resolve in an imaginative training sequence with the wolf target. The abbot impersonates an attacking wolf by spinning and flipping the target around and over Fifth Brother's attacks. Number 5 attacks the target with ferocity and puts the skills he's learned to use. He reacts quickly to the shifting wolf and makes clean attacks on the wolf's silver teeth, aiming to disable them by ripping them out of the target's mouth. His technique is so well learned that not only does he remove the teeth, but he removes the entire jaw mechanism as well. At an inn near the temple, Eighth Daughter arrives seeking a room when one of the staff recognizes the jade pendant she's wearing. He attempts to take it from her, but she displays some of her fantastic moves by leaping back up onto her horse and avoiding the would-be thief. The staffer accuses her of stealing the pendant, which Eighth Daughter isn't so pleased to hear. The actress Kara Wee now gets to flex some of her kung fu muscles when several villagers join in and try to steal the pendant from her. With her flexible kicks and excellent swordplay, she's able to keep the thieves at bay. She's got a very controlled and fluid style, and though she could kill them at any point, she chooses not to. The staffer jumps back into the fight with a bladed pole wrapped in cloth. They go at each other with Eighth Daughter spinning furiously after every strike. According to IMDb, Kara Wee spent many years as a nightclub dancer, and she certainly got the moves to back it up. When the staff is unwrapped, revealing it to be a Yang weapon, she steps up her attack and disarms the guy cleanly. When she reveals herself to be the 8th Yang, the villagers concede and bring her in to tell her all they know about the Mongols' operations. While they're discussing how to get to the temple to find her brother, the Mongols who tracked her storm into the inn and lock it down to try and flush her out. Under the cover of night, the Yang supporters try to smuggle Eighth Yang out of the inn inside a coffin under a dead body. But the Mongol general sniffs out the ploy and draws out the Eighth Yang. Kara Wee gets to again show off some impressive weapon handling as she now wields the Yang bladed staff, or Dao, and uses it like a blender, cutting through the Mongols that dare to get too close. In one particularly uncomfortable scene, she draws the blade up against an attacker and, on the downswing, the blade slices across his chest and takes his entire left pectoral muscle right off his body. Hang in there, though. It gets worse, trust me. The Mongols again fall back on their spring poles and begin taking out Yang sympathizers when they try to help Eighth Yang. Unfortunately, she too falls prey to the confounding spring locks and gets tangled up in a mess of them to the point where she's lifted high into the air like some ragdoll. While she's suspended upside down, the staffer who met her at the inn leaps off of a landing and snags the jade pendant from her belt. There's a silent understanding between them after which she urges him to run as quick as he can. Before he gets away, he takes a number of blades to his back but Punmei shrewdly lets him go. Let him go, and I promise tomorrow the fifth Yang will come here. Right. Not far away, the bloodied staffer collapses at the temple as he hands off the pendant to fifth brother. He manages to tell him that his sister was just ambushed at the inn before finally succumbing to his wounds. Fifth brother is at an important crossroads here, and what he chooses to do next will define his place in the world. There's a grim determination in his face as he leaves to make this all-important choice. Standing alone in a prayer chamber in front of Buddha, Fifth Brother presents his broken spear to the abbot who was already waiting there for him.
Every day, whether you realize it or not, you're moved by the power of visual communication. And that's by design. At Tinbox Marketing Solutions, the goal of that design is to bring effective communication to a myriad of people through shape, color, texture, and sound. Tinbox is a creative services group located in Los Angeles, California, by way of New York City. Their clients include La Tigre, Konami, Pony Footwear, and comedian Jerry Seinfeld. For the bleeding edge in graphic design and print services, don't think outside the box. There is no box. TinboxSolutions.com Here's another clash of philosophies as Fifth Brother, who has worked so hard to achieve inner peace, is now ready to give that up for vengeance. The Abbot, knowing that Fifth Yang is out of reach, challenges his choice to make sure that his motives are pure, even if he means to spill blood. Now how Fifth Brother proves that, in this fight, is nothing short of special. In an incredibly fast-paced stick fight, Fifth Brother and the Abbot put on an absolutely amazing display. The speed is dizzying, and it doesn't look artificially sped up at all. The moves are so intricate and complex, and yet the two warriors step in and out of them effortlessly. Of particular note are the brilliant slow-motion scenes where the combatants take turns jumping over or around their sticks in a combined escape-slash-defense move where the sticks never, ever drop out of play. As the fight escalates, Fifth Brother begins to set into motion a way to visually show the abbot that he has indeed learned to respect Buddha's teachings. As they thrust and parry, Fifth Young maneuvers pillows and large candle holders situated around the room into place without the abbot realizing it. He surreptitiously throws them at the monk as offensive weaponry, only to have them sit exactly where he intends them to be. As they exchange some footwork, he pulls the abbot's slippers off his feet, scratches some lines into the stone floor, and steps back. And when the fight's done, the abbot stops to see that he's standing in a yin-yang symbol, at the heart of the eight-diagram symbol itself, with each of the trigrams represented by the pillows and candlesticks. In a symbolic gesture, the abbot takes off his elder monk sash and hands it to Fifth Brother as a blessing. The next day, Fifth Yang shows up at the inn with a large cart full of bamboo poles. He openly antagonizes the Mongols, and when they find out that he's from the temple, they accuse him of working with the Yangs. And it's on. Fight scene. It seems that Fifth Yang has found a counterattack to the spring poles that the Mongols are so fond of using. What started out as a cart full of bamboo poles instantly becomes a bamboo machine gun as Fifth Yang launches the poles with a single punch. The spring poles do grab the bamboo, but when they squeeze them, the bamboo splinters into essentially wooden blades. He uses these splinters to literally shred his way through the Mongols. With most of them down, he casually walks over to one bamboo pole and kicks it up into his hands. When two remaining Mongols try to stop him, their attack breaks open the pole, revealing the hidden Yang spear inside. It turns out to be the last thing those two see. Fifth Yang enters the inn to find six coffins stacked atop one another, perhaps to serve as a grim reminder that his six brothers are all dead, at least as far as he knows. As he draws closer, the would-be Emperor Johnny Wang drops down onto the coffins and taunts Fifth Yang. Fifth Yang, Monk dies like any other man when his time's up. I'm not afraid of death. Where's my sister? I'm standing on her. That, of course, is all it takes to set up an absolute humdinger of a battle. Final fight. The coffin lids swing out like springboards and Mongols emerge from within. Armed with only his pole, Fifth Yang moves quickly from lid to lid, careful to avoid the spring-loaded weapons that doomed his family. Pun Mei reveals himself and repeats his warning from the battlefield. Pun Mei! I swore to get even! <laughs> Fifth Yang, you better say your press! The Mongols then attack en masse and Fifth Yang proves that he did learn something in training after all. Remember that display against the abbot with the wooden wolf? 
It looks as if those moves are coming in handy right now as he dodges and weaves his way through a bevy of swords and spears. He's able to hold off groups of Mongols while also protecting himself from the spring poles. He has to hop from lid to lid at times, but is always able to maintain his position and keep the horde in front of him. Johnny Wang steps off the top coffin just long enough for it to pop open, revealing his bound and gagged but very much alive eighth sister within. He's forced to knock her from the top of the coffin pile for her own safety, and in another incredible slow motion sequence, he leaps from the top and lands on a bunch of crisscross spears like it was some kind of basket chair. He picks up his sister, but because she's bound, has to strap her to his back like Yoda on Luke, and still manages to fight off his attackers. It starts to look really grim for the Yangs as they do eventually get caught by the spring weapons and some well-placed strikes draw some blood. They lift Fifth Yang into the air and slam him down on the ground, but just as the blade of the Yang Dao starts to cut into him, the doors of the inn bust open, followed by the cavalry in the form of the six temple monks and a big wooden wolf. The symbolism of six monks is probably intentional, and yeah, they came to party. Abbott, you've broken the rules. No, we're driving away wolves. It's a stick-fighting frenzy as the monks throw their wood around with skill and precision. Now remember what their training emphasized in terms of dealing with a wolf pack? Well, it's about to get real. Determined not to kill, the monks go about using their staffs as the worst dentists on the planet. One monk trips up two Mongols and forces them to bite down on the staff, and when he removes it, several teeth are embedded in the wood. This is repeated time and again as the monks follow their training, ripping out sets of teeth at will. One particular monk, who loses his staff, instead throws himself headfirst right at a Mongol's mouth. The result is the monk with an entire jawline of teeth embedded in his scalp. As the numbers dwindle, the monks slowly step back and let the Yangs deal with their enemies themselves. Brother and sister team up for a showdown against Punmei and Johnny Wang. And Wang and fifth brother go hard with Yang showing off just how adept he's become at avoiding the spring pole's lock. He quickly disarms the traitor, and it's a slash of the blade from eighth sister that finishes him off. Seeing that he's pretty much SOL, Punmei tries to escape, but is actually held back by the quickly dying Johnny Wang. With the opportunity to finish him off, Eighth Sister instead slices half his face off and throws him to Fifth Yang for a finishing blow. And with all the rage and hate at a boiling point inside him, Fifth Yang lets it all erupt and tosses Punmei headfirst through the wall of the top coffin. Still intent on clearing his name, Fifth Yang utters a strange line that may or may not be a case of the dub being lost in translation. Sister? Brother! Take this corpse with us. It will be a witness. With his enemies dead and his quest for vengeance satisfied, Fifth Yang makes one last decision on his own fate. Brother! Brother! Eighth sister. I have no home now. Brother! And with that... He walks off alone and closes this chapter of his life. If you want to catch this movie for yourself, I highly recommend that you do. It's available on YouTube for purchase for about $4 and you can play it offline through the Google Play Movies app. It holds up amazingly well and it's worth watching several times. Sadly, it wasn't the ideal way for Fu Shang to have gone out, but his legacy in Kung Fu Cinema is secure and I'll get to one of his starring vehicles on the show soon. Okay, boys and clan, that's going to do it for this episode. Some quick shout-outs to some fellow podcasters out there. The Kenny Ho Show, the Skip to the End podcast, the Nerdtastic 4 podcast, and Little Geek Lost. All fun shows and part of the Potter and Family hashtag on Twitter. Go check them out and show them some love. And speaking of Twitter, come talk at me at Kung Fu Drive-In. Same on Instagram or on Facebook at the Kung Fu Drive-In podcast page. Or email me at Kung Fu Drive-In at gmail.com. 
I have some exciting interviews lined up for some future shows, so please come back next week. And in the meantime, ratings and reviews really help to keep the show's momentum going, so please stop by and leave a star or five. It'll get you a shout-out and much appreciation. Until next week, Poison Clan, peace. <laughs>